Episode 56 with drumming superstar from Nashville, Tennessee, Mr. Steve Brewster. I so much enjoyed this conversation. Wonderful guy. Uh, one of the nicest guys I've had a chance to talk to. And uh, he had a lot of great things to talk about. So make sure you check out this one. Don't forget uh, our sponsors here on the podcast, Music City Canada. Uh, it's a one-stop music shop based out of London, Ontario. I buy a lot of equipment there. And you can check them out online at musiccitycanada.com. They do installs, rentals, and they'll ship everything out to you as well. Also, Morning Buzz Coffee, uh, based out of Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And they uh, are owned by a couple musicians. And great guys. I just did a podcast with them as well. So that will be coming out soon. Uh, they specialize in fair trade organic coffees, morningbuzzcoffee.buzz, and they ship right to you as well. Also, my grandfather's fiddle, a one-of-a-kind custom t-shirts. Treat those you love to the memory of a lifetime. It's pretty easy. Uh, you select the instrument. Uh, maybe you have a grandparent or uh, someone that means a lot to you have their instrument, uh, maybe a fiddle or a piano or a guitar. You can take a picture of that, upload it, and you can get this custom-made very cool t-shirt and a great memory. Uh, and then make sure you check them out, www.mygrandfathersfiddle.com. Now here it is, Mr. Steve Brewster. Enjoy. Okay, I'm here with actually one of my favorite drummers. I haven't told you yet. It's kind of personal. <laughs> but uh, here we are with Steve Brewster. And it's nice to have you on the podcast. And uh, we had a chat last week. And we, it was really, uh, you could tell we we're going to have a, a good podcast here. But it's nice to have you here at your your home studio in Nashville. How are you? Man, thanks. Thanks, Darren. I'm uh, honored, uh, you know, and encouraged that about what you just said. I had no idea that you even knew who I was. So <laughs> I'm oh, very, sure. you know, always... Um, honored to to have people that um like what i do That's and, awesome. and happy to talk about it and share insights and thoughts and life you know it was interesting because last week when we chatted and uh i mentioned uh jim witter as a friend of mine and it it certainly also was like yeah jim witter i know that um yeah. and then found out later that you actually played on uh, one of Jim's projects uh, with Chuck Howard in, in Nashville. And yeah. uh, Jim was like, yeah, absolutely. And he's, he was exactly um, said this exact same thing. He was like, yeah, he's one of my favorite drummers I've ever had a play on, on anything he had done. So um, he was uh, thrilled that we were going to have a chat. Canadian people like me, man. Yeah. I think I'm, I need, I think I need to move up there, you know? <laughs> Hey, I've, 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 you know, I've found favor with pretty much all the Canadian people that I've bumped into. It's kind of been cool. Yeah. I just played on, um, okay, so the rock group, kind of a, 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 I guess maybe an 80s rock group, Glass Tiger. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're a Canadian band, right? Yeah. Um, I just played on their Christmas record. Oh, no that's, way. That they're putting out, they're about to put out. I just did it a couple of months ago oh, here. Awesome. We, we just passed me Sam. Um, I guess Sam's kind of like the, the leader of the band. Um, and, uh, uh, he just sent me files down and we talked and, uh, I nice. got to play on that. Cool. 
Yeah. It turned out great too. They've mixed it and they're done and it it just sounds so cool. You should check it out. It's not uh it's not your typical um Christmas record and it's definitely not a rock record. They kind of yeah. they did their version of a Christmas record. It's really tasty, really Honestly, good. Not a lot of sleigh bells and chimes and There's some, <laughs> there's some, but uh not not an over you know abundance of it, you know. Yeah. They did very tasty. So last week we touched base a little bit and talked about uh, what's been happening since COVID came about and uh, how it's really affected uh, studio life in Nashville, especially for a good solid couple of months where nothing was happening at all. Um, and as we see kind of behind you, uh, for those watching the video, uh, you have, we're in your, your studio here at, at your home. Uh, and yeah, and you've got your setup um, and you've been talking about how much tracking you've been doing um, and people sending you files and, and working from home. So w what has that been like over the, I know you've been doing it for a while, but what it, has that been like over the last few months? Well, over the, uh, this year, over the last few months, you know, I, I wouldn't have been able to stay in a musical workflow without it period. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a time where, you know, the sessions, uh, you know, going to a studio and doing a, um, conventional session pretty much just shut down yep. uh, maybe you know from april to through june-ish maybe i'm not sure exact if i'm exactly right about that but mm -hmm. um and then they started kicking back in and you know everybody wear the mask and social distance and stay at your stations during the session and they play the demo over the headphones instead of everybody congregating in the control room to listen to the demo or to listen to a playback even yeah you just kind of spend the whole session at your station um which works great you know um but during that time um yeah like i said uh, my workflow stayed at kind of a medium burn which is fine with me these days i i, uh, I definitely had my years and years of high velocity, you know, wall to wall yeah. every day, um, sessions. And these days I find it to be a more of a medium burn and especially this year. Um, but, but man, you know, uh, I, I think I'm without COVID, I'm probably to the point where I might be 50, 50 or 60, 40, um, 60% sessions, 40% overdubbing at home yeah. as, as far as something around there, 50, 50, 60, 40. Um, but this year it's, it's been, you know, a higher percentage um, at home. So that to say that I'm thankful that to have this and I'm, that's, you know, I have my tug of war with technology and music, right? Yeah. But, but uh, as far as, you know, good and bad and, and musical and not musical and all those things we all, know about and think about but in this case this is like one of the pluses um working for people in a lot of cases like like the glass tiger thing um that i would never have met i never would work with yeah uh, worked on a track for a guy from australia yesterday um same thing he just sent me files i just played on it sent it back um so getting to work with people 
um, that otherwise I wouldn't work with. That's, there's some musical opportunities. That's a real cool part of the technology. But yeah. to, to, to answer your question, yeah, this year, um, the last few months, I've spent a lot of time just kind of by myself, you know, which I'm used to. I've developed a, a skill set, I think, um, a different kind of way to uh, inspire yourself instead of um, looking across the room at the bass player and the, the guitar player and, and, and getting that kind of thing, which that's the way I grew up and that's what I love, yeah. you know. But um, over the years, um, it's like each year, I think I've developed a better sense of how to play like that when you're by yourself, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. How, to, how to play from a place of of inspiration and not just not sound like a, a stiff session guy, just kind of going through the motions, still keeping that kind of uh, musical inspired kind of performances. Um, yeah. It's almost the, like I put it as an analogy. It's like going into a Tesla where you're the drummer, you're always kind of like the driver, right? And you're the guy behind your steering wheel and all of a sudden you put it in autopilot and let Tesla take over for a bit. But you're still kind of going down the road and <laughs> going 60 miles an hour. But that's what it's almost what it's like when you're overdubbing uh, drum tracks because you have to be playing to something. Um, yeah. And yeah. something has already dedicated the route you're going. Um, mm -hmm. And as the drummer, uh, it's probably getting used to not being the one that's driving where you want to sit you know if you want to sit a little ahead a little back or and make right. everybody yep. lay into your groove you got to have to make that groove work with what's already on the tracks well you know very good point and and yes and no to that yeah. um that's a very insightful uh discussion point um uh you'd be surprised uh, i mean some stuff that that you know i get some stuff where it's basically like just play along to this. This is the record, yeah. you know. Uh, the 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 stuff is already the way we want it. Guitar parts, bass, you know. After you play, might change the bass a little bit, but whatever. Basically, this is the feel. This is it. Yeah. Then it is what you just said. Um, however, there are a lot of cases where yesterday's song was a perfect case where he, he, he emailed me and said, these are all scratch tracks. I'm playing, I'm replaying everything to the drums. Um, once, once you get done yeah. and you know, like the bass was programmed. So the bass was not a final part, but it was locked in on yeah. the grid. Yeah. It was on the grid locked. Yeah. It wasn't moving. Um, car parts were a little loosey goosey. Um, and so knowing that they weren't the keeper guitar parts, then I could make myself comfortable. And I actually put just kind of a soft quantize on them because yeah. they were, there were spots where they were pretty far out, yeah. like to where it was making me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Like I knew, because he told me just stay in there with the click and the bass and stay in the, the pocket and I'm going to replace everything. So in that regard, you know, 
I, I, I become the driver there. They want me to be the driver. Yeah. And then even, even sometimes I even get handed less like this is a scratch acoustic and scratch vocal. I want it to be like, you know, Foo Fighters meets, you know, and you're like, you know, then you really, in, in a fun way, you really have to engage that creative kind of imagination and kind of get that thing going in your head and, and play like that. So it's, it's interesting being in the drum chair because there's so many different ways that things come to me. Um, yeah, that I, I really have to learn how to how to um, adjust, like what you're talking about. Am I leading the train here, or am I fitting my part into an already existing done deal? And that's where communication. I mean, that's I, I feel pretty good about that. I, I don't ever sit down um, to play any song without either verbally talking on the phone um, or emailing, texting, send me references. Yeah. What are you thinking? What, are you, what kind of sounds, what, what, you know, references a lot of times really help a lot. Yeah. Um, just to be on this, as much, I want to be on their page, the, the artist's producer's page, as much as I can before I ever sit down to play a note. Yeah. I think that's really, really important. So communication and in that communication, you'll always find out. So are these tracks like, are they the keeper tracks? Or are you going to replay, you know, that kind of thing. So I, be, that uh, kinda- <laughs> I was just thinking it would be a great trick to play on a drummer. We're not going to do it to you because I'm telling you the track, but it'd be great to send someone just a click track. And nothing oh. else. And, oh, and well, pretend like, have you had that? <laughs> it's oh, like, it would be a great I've got, joke. Okay, so I've got this one client that's a, he's a, he's a publisher and a producer. And, um, uh, uh, when we've done this a lot over, over COVID, yeah. um, where he wasn't set up at his, his he has a studio away from his home. Yeah. But he was kind of in locked down at home. So he would into his phone sing and with an acoustic guitar and sing the song. Yeah. You know, and so it's not on the grid and not to a click. No click inside, just you know, and then hand it to me. And 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 then we would zoom and I'd send him a two mix. Uh what's the name of that? app it's great listen to listen oh, to yeah. you know what i'm talking about yeah that's a great that's a great you just put it on your two mix and then you send them a link to your two mix and they're listening to exactly what you're doing yeah in real time you know there's a little bit of a delay but it's it's very very it's minimal yeah um and uh you know so i'd i'd chart it out and play to a click that's not that much fun and i've let him know that He's getting better at, you know, he's getting better at playing some things to a click now and putting it on a Pro Tools yeah. grid or whatever. Um, it, it sure does help a lot when you got a little something, even if it's not the keeper thing, yeah. just a little something to play along to 
Talk about engaging your imagination. No you know, when it's just a click. To me, it's just an energy drainer. You yeah. know, it's like you got so much energy. You got so much mental capacity. And those things, when you're playing music, there's a lot of math going on. And there's a, and a lot of feeling and a lot of different kinds of things going on. And when you, you know, when there's music surrounding, you know, when in your headphones and you're playing along to something, you're not having to generate the the chord structure or the the dynamics so much. Um, but when you're all by yourself and just playing to a click, a lot of your mental capacity is going to just trying to remember the melody of the song and the way it goes. And I don't know this song. I've only it came on my desk six hours ago. Yeah. You know, I've only played 30 songs this week. So, you know, I can't, I, I, the, the chart and having something to go by is, is really essential, but the, it, it, I have done that. I have interesting that you brought that up. Uh, I prefer to not have to do it, but you know, it's an interesting exercise for sure. We would, we should send, uh, I know that, uh, you did a, uh, you were part of, um, who was it that did the the YouTube video with you and two other drummers sent them the tracks um, uh, and then that's a guy um, named Stephen Stephen Taylor. Taylor yeah and he's a uh, he's a uh, he's coming up the ranks I think as one of the the heavy hitters in the the drum education YouTube yeah world. Um, he's really good, high energy dude. Oh, yeah, totally. Really good drummer. Yeah. Really knowledgeable, and and you know he he really knows it, and he really. I think he's. I think he can really, you know, be productive for a lot of drummers. That I, I got to tell you, man, that thing is definitely not my wheelhouse. Yeah. I am. I'm. I'm not a. I'm not a choppy drummer. I'm not a. I'm not a, a clinician type drummer. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a song guy. I mean, I think I have a wide palette musically, um, but I'm not the guy that's going to sit at a clinic by himself and wow you with my, my sport drumming. Yeah. I call it, you know, yeah. I have, I, I listen to that stuff and I, 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 I'm inspired by it, but it's just not my, it's, it's not who I am. It's not my musicality. Um, so, you know, if you're going to be, if you're going to do a, a, a drum education video, there's going to be a certain amount of, you know, hey, check this out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, those other two drummers, they're great buddies of mine. Oh, yeah. Um, and they're phenomenally successful and great drummers. Uh, I kind of, and we didn't know what, you know, nobody knew what the other guy was doing. And they just sent a two mix of the track. Yeah. Just play along to it. What you heard was essentially the track that we played to, a two mix, and um, our drum tracks. Uh, I thought that turned out pretty good. Um, they were all you great. Know. They were all, they were <laughs> all great. Good. Yeah. Uh, but I certainly yeah. I have to admit yours was my favorite uh, by far. Um, but everyone was, it was close, right? Well, I, I went it, to more. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, you can't, I mean, good is good, right? There's yeah. three, three great drummers there. Um, uh, sorry. I didn't mean to say I was great, but, but three, you know, legit 
yeah. drummers there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just different snapshots on any given day. I might not do what I did. You know what I mean? Exactly. I might play it straighter, but yeah. knowing that it was an instrumental thing and that it was going to be for, for drummers. Yeah. I thought, well, what if I did kind of a tip of the hat to the, a little bit of Garibaldi light. Yeah. Tower of power, James Brown kind of breaking it up a little bit, which, the song was kind of saying that to me anyway. I didn't have to stretch it to make that fit because to me it was like that definitely is what it's saying to me. Yeah. If I was on a session with a vocal and da-da-da-da, I probably would not take that approach. But within the context that we were working in, um, that's where I landed anyway. Yeah, it was yeah. great. Uh, I, and I enjoy those. It's neat seeing everyone's approach because everyone's approach is completely different not that one's right and one's wrong it's just how you interpret it and i, I always find with, with drums and drummers uh and i've i go back to gosh as many years ago i went i was at nam and went to a yamaha drum night uh that they had and they they basically had maybe three or four kits set up on stage a house band and a bunch of their artists, drum, drum, uh, Dorsons, uh, Dorsey guys would come out and they just play one song. Um, and most of the time they all went to the same kit. Um, you know, someone would use the third kit or the second kit every once in a while, but a majority of the guys went to the same kit and, uh, and I've seen it over and over again, but it was really neat there because these were all top guys, but that kit sounded completely different every single time someone else yeah. sat down on it. And it was amazing hearing all these guys back to back to back to back to back. And they had, and I wish I could remember who it was. Uh, they had some new young guy from LA uh, come out and uh, and play and he blew everybody away. Um, it was just like the place went silent. <laughs> Everyone was like, oh my gosh. But he just sat. <laughs> Everyone else was trying to be a little fancy, you know, hey, here's me, and then it's the Yamaha drum night, and it's, you know, uh, and he just went down, and he just laid it down, just, and just a little, you know, little fill, but his groove was so unreal. Uh, it, it stuck with me f forever, uh, but I always, I'm so amazed on how different a kit can sound, um, depending who's playing it. You can see a guitar or uh, you know, any instrument really it's, you know, you figure an instrument sounds like it does, but, um, man, a drum kit can sound so, especially a kick drum. And, um, oh, every, uh, you yeah. know, a drum, absolutely. Cymbals That's a good and, uh, everything. Cause you know, it's all, you know, it starts here, translates out of here. Yeah. Right. And then it hits the instrument. So you're starting with human DNA <laughs> and we're all different. And that's the beauty of it to me. And, but, but it is, you think, especially with something like drums, um, same mic, same exact drums, you know, put five guys behind that kit right there. There's going to be five different sounds coming out because of the, the, the drummer's internal dynamics. Yeah. And just because of the, um, the the touch on the instrument. So, you know, like to me, um, I'm kind of a little guy. So even when I go full on, 
I usually don't get to the point where I'm choking out drums. Yeah. But um, some guys, you can choke out a drum just like you can choke out uh, an acoustic guitar. Where, you know, if you're just hitting that acoustic guitar on the mic, the only thing that that microphone is able to hear at a certain point is just the attack. Yeah. They don't hear the, the, the microphone is not hearing the tone behind the attack anymore because the attack is so loud. So, and it's the same thing with drums. It's the same thing. I mean, a lot of the, you know, I was listening to, uh, I read Jeff Picaro's got a new, uh, a book, yeah. uh, a journalist did a book about Jeff's life, mostly about just his session life. Yeah. It's really great. I just read it this weekend and there's this Jimmy, Jimmy Webb record mm -hmm. that I didn't know about from 1982 wow. that Picaro played on, man. And I listened to it with headphones this morning while I was working out. And the drum sound, do you remember in the early 80s when the drum sound changed? Yeah. Like, totally. like the whole concept of drum sounds. They got bigger and up in your face and yeah. the big fat snares and toms. And it just like completely changed. 80 to 82. Yeah. Uh, Chicago 16, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Gino Vanelli, all that stuff. Everything changed. Yeah. And this was right during that period. And the drum sound on that record is unbelievable um, on the Jimmy Webb record. And the, the drums sound gigantic. He was not, he was, he, he could be a very high energy player, but if you really look at the way he attacks the drums, he's not like choking them out. You know, yeah. maybe sometimes when they were kind of in their heyday live, he might have been, you know, a little hit over hitting sometimes. But in general, especially in recordings, um, he's got a beautiful sound without, you know, over hitting. Yeah. Um, so. That's that's always in in my mind is trying to get the right energy for the song, and you can actually get a, a purposely get a different sound out of the drum. Same drum set, same day, same player. Yeah, you know, depending on you know, sometimes on a real high energy four on the floor, you know, song, I might hit purposely a little hard and have a little more attack and a little. Does that make sense? Yeah, and then totally. slower songs, maybe it just depends. It just, it just all depends. What about, uh, question wise, walking into studio sessions, how often, or does it happen at all that you're walking into a house kit in a studio and maybe bringing very, very often. Yeah. Um, you know, to me, that's unfortunate, but understandable. I mean, at, given where we are in history of making music yeah. um i have a drum set my main kit with cartridge all of my drums i've had for a long time and i have this weird thing that i think you know i, I basically had the drums were made for me and i'm the only owner of the drums essentially the only guy that's ever played the drums yeah day in day out right so, um, hold on just a second. Oh, yeah. Oh, 
My wife's coming in <laughs> the garage. No problem. <laughs> Sorry, man. But um, so over the years, you know, like I've got this beautiful Nashville Slingerland kit. That's my main kit with, I don't have it here. It's my main kit with Cartage. Yeah. And when I do play, when I do have a Cartage gig in a studio, that's probably the, you know, a large percentage of the time, what I'll at least start with. And it's, it's a, it basically sounds like a Gretsch kit. It's very Gretschy. Yeah. Um, but they kind of handmade that kit for me. And I feel like that wood over the 20 years that I've had that kit, that wood has acclimated to my touch. Oh, yeah. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. I feel like it, it's resonated for so many years over and over again with the way that I hit it, it kind of probably has some kind of like pattern of resonance. Um, I don't know scientifically what I'm talking about, Yeah, no. but it's not far-fetched, is it? I mean, it makes I don't sense. Think but so. so yeah. I value that. I value um, my sound. Okay. So I'm, when I go, you know, so there's that, but I also understand that cartage, man, cartage, it's, it's ridiculous how much money it, it, it takes to get a drum kit to a studio and set up these days. And people are barely able to go into the studio and cut Yeah, with a group of players and an engineer and renting the studio for the day and da, 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 da. And so, uh, you know, yes, house kits are a norm here in Nashville in a lot of situations, not on the higher, you know, upper yeah. tier you know, things, but in, in more of the everyday settings, um, uh, it is. And, and you learn how to acclimate to it. It's not that big a deal anymore to me. At first I was really, really just kind of not happy with it, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Say no. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're not working. Exactly. You know, and and so now it's just become over the last few years, it's become such a norm that you understand that, hey, you know, people just don't have the money um, and and we're making it work. I do have a Gretsch kit that I have at a guy's studio as the house kit and I'm the primary drummer there. And I probably work there three three days a month. Yeah. Um, something like that. In the past, it's been more, uh, this month I'm doing five days there in a row next week, five full days. Great. So that's kind of cool because I've got my kit there yeah. in a, in a, um, in a house kit situation. And when, you know, other drummers come in and they, they play that. Uh, and then the, the owner of the studio, the only, you know, we've worked together for a long time yeah. and, you know, he replaces the heads. He pays for the heads. Yeah. I let him use the drum set even when I'm not there. And in return, he just, you know, he'll pay for the head change. I'll go in there early some mornings and change heads and he pays, he pays for the, for the materials. So that, that's a cool way to work it out. You oh, know, yeah. that's great. So what do you walk into if you're in a house kit situation what are you carrying in with you yourself i carry uh, i carry a bag of cymbals and i carry two or three snare drums yeah and i carry my kick drum pedal you know and then some odds and ends you know i'll always have shakers and i'll always have a tambo 
Um, and then, you know, I've got tons of stuff here, like hand drums and djembe's and whatever. Um, a lot of times I'll call in advance, hey, anything out of the ordinary we're going to be doing today? Like, do you need any congas or anything? Uh, that type of thing. Yeah. But in general, bag of cymbals, couple, two or three snare drums, just kind of that, that can kind of cover all your sound spectrum. And uh, my kick drum pedal uh, with different beaters. I think that's really important. Yeah. Uh, these days, there's so many different styles of, uh, of, se- of music that can be you know, on one session. You know, I've got the, the, the traditional smacky thing or a felt thing or the square felt thing or, yeah. uh, or, you know, all the way down to like the, the kind of mallet kind of poofy kind of yeah. really soft kind of thing. That's really, you know, in style now, um, musically relevant now. Yeah. So, you know, for more Americana type stuff or whatever. So, and, you know, I've just got a bag that's got all my sticks, brushes, mallets, weird dowels, anything weird that you use, kind of bring as much as as I, um, as much of my my shtick into the session, into that house kit, and then just kind of take over the house kit. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're limited, though, as far as, you know, the way the kit initially sounds is the way it initially sounds you can't do much about that um you know you don't have time to uh to do a lot of tweaking oh there's other things that are really important too sorry my brain says i never talk about uh so drum muting things oh yeah uh um i've got these things they're called from a company called roots eq and they're basically like this whole like tea towel kind of thing but it's exactly shaped like the head of the drum you can just put it on the head of the drum and you've literally got a total dead 70s beefy perfectly sounding toms yeah just like that without having to tune or anything so there's all kinds of little tricks of you know little you know gels and things that you can use to, to change the sound of the drums really fast uh, in a session where they're trying to get five songs in three hours or something, yeah. you know, I think that's really important to, to kind of have that stuff in your, in your bag with you on the house kit things. Yeah. Makes I've sense. got them with me anytime, anytime, whether I'm using my drums or anybody else's drums. Yeah. What about, I hear a lot of producers now talking that they're tuning their kits to the key of the song um intentionally do you if you've been in those circumstances where you've you know you're doing it obviously it's not doing that on a session where you're trying to do five songs in three hours but if it's right. a, a big session um I, I see the point but i've you know i haven't seen it done that often um I haven't seen it done that often. I've heard stories of it. Um, I've been in lots of situations where it was, you know, where especially the nineties and the two thousands where you would, but you know, be booked for three days at a time 
or five days at a time yeah. to work on a record. So you do maybe two songs a day. So it's like you listen to a song and you go, well, what, what do we want the drums to be like on this song? Well, let's put them over in this room or let's use this kit, you know? Yeah. Um, sorry. I got, I got sidetracked. What was, what was the question? <laughs> no, <laughs> the tuning, tuning of the drum kit to the key of the song. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've been in a lot of situations where it would be like the kit is not sitting in the track correctly. Let's lift it all. Yeah. Pitch wise, or let's go down, you know, it, a lot of times it wouldn't be a definitive pitch of the toms. Yeah, it's just a the snare. Yeah, but it would just be like where it, where is it? Where are we going to make that kit be really productive? Uh, is it going to be up here or is it going to be a really down here thing? Um, however, there have been certain, especially with floor toms and bass, right? Yeah. Where it's just like warble, warble, warble. Yeah. The bass is out of tune. The bass is out of tune. They start soloing stuff, and it's like, oh, it's the floor, floor tom. Dude, yeah. you need, we need you to bring the floor tom up like a quarter of a step because that's causing a, a thing. Yeah, weird mm-hmm. overtone, yeah. Yeah, there's been, there's been those kind of situations, but very rarely have I had someone say, I want this tom at this pitch, this, you know. I get it, though, if you're – I get the concept. Yeah. You know, especially if they're real open toms that have a long sustain to them. Yeah. Um, then it matters. Uh, I mean, it can matter. It cannot matter, and it can matter. I mean, sometimes, most of the time, I don't think of it in that way, unless it's a particular situation, like I was saying with yeah. maybe the floor tom and the bass. Something yeah, like that. makes sense. So let's go back a little bit and find out uh, – a bit more where you came from and how you got into the biz. Um, so where'd you, where'd you grow up? Well, man, I grew up about an hour and a half from where we're sitting right now. No way. Deep into the, it's kind of, you know, South middle, middle Tennessee, South. Um, and a real small, real small one high school town. Yeah. Like, you know, 14, 15,000 people. Uh, name of the town's Tullahoma, Tullahoma, Tennessee. And um, I, I grew up there, not in a musical family, just kind of, you know, I, uh, I grew up in the 60s and 70s. I'm a, I'm a musical child of the 70s, definitely. Yeah. I was, a, I was a teenager. Those were my teenage years. I was in 1972, I was. 10 and then in in 80 i was 18 oh yeah so yeah you know what i mean yeah 14 15 16 i was right in the middle of the 70s you know just like that that's one of the that's some of the beginnings of my musical influences just radio just you know the local radio station and back then man you'd hear um, a, a wide range of diversity sure. on, on one local station, radio. Yeah. yeah, you know, Saturday nights they'd be playing album rock or whatever, country, just everything. You know, I grew up in Tennessee, so I grew up surrounded by country music, um, and and album rock. Yeah, and just everything seventies and sixties too. Um, so. 
interesting. I grew up, you know, Tullahoma has a real interesting kind of thing in, in that um, it's in the middle of, of just kind of farm country and kind of small town Tennessee. But there's, there's also uh, uh, an uh, uh, aeronautics engineering development center there. Oh, wow. That is huge. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of outside of town. And so they like they tested all of the Apollos. They got the huge at one time they had the largest wind tunnels wow. in the world. Yeah. So they, they would build mock aircraft of all the fighter, the new fighter jets and suspend them in these wind tunnels and test their aerodynamics and things like that. Yeah. So this was definitely like scientists kind of stuff going on out there, you know, engineers and scientists and, you know, just kind of higher educated men. So, and it it was huge late 60s, 70s, like the heyday of it. Yeah. And so all of that, the, the kind of higher educated men moved their families into the area. Right. So you kind of had this <laughs> redneck meet scientist thing, sure. um, uh, which is kind of highly unusual, I think, for that kind of small Tennessee town. Oh yeah, um, you know the education system was was higher than uh, was average, I would say. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I where I, I because of the you know, I'm not just some, some of the, uh, you know, I was, I was introduced to some music as a, a high schooler um, that I probably wouldn't have been introduced to if, if those families and that kind of, 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 of person wouldn't have been in the area. Yeah. Yeah. I get the that. First time I really, I really was completely, figured out who Steve Gadd was. Um, I, I come to find out I had heard him. I just didn't know it, you know? Yeah. Um, this, a friend of my old, I had a sister that's four years older than me. Right. So I'm 16 and this 19 year old friend of my sister's walks in. She knew I was a drummer. My drum sets in my living room of my little house. You know, she walks in with this record is Al Demiola, elegant gypsy. <laughs> Were you ever into Al Demiolo, the guitar player? I know who he is, but no, I I, I don't know the music very well. Well, Gad, Gad was on. It's kind yeah. of fusion, you yeah. know, fusiony seventies fusiony kind of yeah. jazz. But um, and she said, "Here, Steve, I think you might like this guy. This is some cool music." Well, she had gotten it from her mom and dad's album collection. Wow. Who her dad was an a scientist out of this place and had was into jazz, you know. Yeah. So. That took me, you know, that, that kind of, that's that guy, that's the Steve Gadd, you know, oh, wait, he's playing on that Al Jarreau record. Oh, wait, he's playing on 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. He's, this is all the same guy. How do you do that? Yeah. Because I like that music. It resonates with me. But wait, this music resonates with me like I get it. Oh, this music over here and all these different kinds of music. That's where, that was like the genesis really of the, the formulation of me being a session player yeah. and not like saying, Oh, I want to be in a band. Yeah. I never wanted to be in a band. I wanted to be in every band. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Because the music, I couldn't just say, Oh, that's me. Yeah. That thing, you know, 
Led Zeppelin is me. It's not, you know, it's, I just couldn't hang my hat on one hook. Yeah. I never was that guy that could do that. I was just too, too, uh, too eclectic in my musical taste. So How- seeing, starting to see those names on those album covers, uh, oh, that's what I want to do. Yeah. You know, that was kind of the beginning of that. But it was a great place to grow up. Um, what age did you actually start playing drums? I got my first drum set when I was 12. Oh, cool. Um, I was goofing around with a student, a uh, little student uh, snare before that. Um, and, you know, they're classic, you know, I would build drum sets or I would build these contraptions around me from pencil boxes and pots and pans and tink tinker tonker toys and <laughs> matchbox cars yeah. and i would just build these things around me and hit them with whatever wooden spoons or or pencils or whatever uh, i did that i did i've heard so many stories of drummers that actually really did that well i did i, I really did and uh i just it's just one of those things you know i, I really uh, i just feel like it was just kind of Kind of a part of my DNA. Yeah. You know, yeah. but I got my first drum set when I was 12. And then, you know, I was in the junior high band starting in 13. And then, uh, you know, went all the way into the marching band in high school. And there was a really, really great uh, jazz band, jazz director in my high school. His name is Brian Guess. He's one of my musical heroes as far as really, really introduced me to a lot of, you know, the jazz of the day sure. and um, really opened my palate, uh, you know, a- along with learning that jazz thing. I was, I was listening to, you know, Led Zeppelin and Rush and Bo- Boston and Sticks and Kansas and Earth, Wind and Fire and Pablo Cruz and, yeah. you know, Gino Vanelli, one of y'all yeah, dudes, yeah. man. Yeah. He's one, Gino's like one of my all times, probably, probably, Top five influential artists wow. of all time. Yeah. I mean, he's had like the who's who of drum, drummers on his records, man. Yep. I mean, you guys should be extremely proud of Gino Benelli, man. Gino is like hero status to me. Yeah. Like life changing. That's awesome. Every record he's ever done is just to me, just, you know, I'm just, you can't, Gino can't do any wrong. But, uh, you know, so I was listening to all that stuff. It's amazing. Day. Uh, a lot of people I talk to that their high school music teacher was a huge influence in their life yeah. and not necessarily, you know, the best musician in the world or any of those things. Right. It wasn't those elements, but it was you being young and that person pointing you in the right direction. Yeah. Um, and Absolutely, being, man. yeah, the, the, my, my, <clears throat> I, uh, I've always had an emotional passion that kind of, I wore it on my music, on my sleeve. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty still, even to this day, I feel like, uh, I try to lead with my passion or with my emotion in a song, Yeah. um, within, you know, in a controlled way. Um, and, and my high school band director, uh, Brian Guest. He was so passionate about big band jazz and about jazz and 
Like I, I really think he liked that more than the marching band and the concert band. Yeah. I think the marching band, he was into the marching band and the concert band stuff, but I think it, it was like when it became, when yeah. it was like the jazz band hour, it was like, okay, this is my thing. But I can remember he was so passionate about that and would play his things. And I can even remember when we were playing advanced stuff for, for our age, I think, and he would when we were really cooking, sometimes he would get so, so emotional about it, he would cry. He would liter- literally tear up. Wow. And, and, and I just remember being impacted by that so much because it made me go, it made me, it, it made me uh, validate. It validated the feelings I had about it inside because inside it made me, some things would make me emotional like that. Sure. Um, you know, yeah. and oh, yeah, I'm not weird for feeling that way. This is a thing. Yeah, yeah. This is really a thing, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, one of my heroes, my high school band director. That's awesome. Absolutely. So from high school, uh, where'd you go from there? Yeah. Oh, so uh, we didn't really have any money uh, in my family. Um, and, uh, I, you know, it wasn't in the cards for me to go to Berkeley or anything. Yeah. I, I got a, I got a full scholarship to, um, a state university, uh, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which is close to here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really, if you want to go to college, this is your ticket. Uh, unfortunately at the time they were primarily an education department yeah. where they were putting out high school band directors and choral directors. Um, there was a, I was a performance major, but there wasn't really like a drum set performance. It was more of like a legit thing. So my freshman year, I just spent so much time like learning how to play vibraphone and oh, yeah. timpani and, you know, there's, there's a lot of that, that a lot of what I learned in all of that, that's very, very valuable to me now, but I wasn't getting to, I was playing in the big, in the big band at school, Yeah. but you know, it just wasn't a, it wasn't the, the kind of environment that, that was really lighting me up yeah. because I was really ready to, to, to be taught and to really grow. And I, I, it just kind of, didn't work for me. So after a year and a half, I ended up quitting, letting go of my scholarship, which was a bummer for my parents, you know? Yeah. I mean, from their perspective, because there wasn't going to be any other way for me to go to school. Um, and I spent six months and pretty much locked myself in to a room. There, it, it, I finished out the year in my apartment that I was at, um, and uh, me and the the uh, the the jazz band director at the university, he didn't really have another drummer that could play the book. Oh yeah, and so I, in exchange for me playing in the band, I wasn't even enrolled in the university. I played in the band. He let me keep my drum set in the rehearsal room. And he told the janitor that whenever I came in, that he could unlock the door for me to the rehearsal room and let me practice whenever I wanted to. And then I would go get the janitor when I was leaving and tell him, okay, lock the door up now. 
So that was the exchange there. Yeah. And those six, those six months, that's when I, I feel like that was one of my, one of those transition periods for me yeah. where I feel like I just put in the hours, just the hours, hours, hours yeah. of, of spending time with my instrument. Um, and that's where I, I, then I ended up transferring to University of Tennessee in Knoxville and they had a full blown jazz performance program uh, headed up by a pretty famous jazz uh, educator, Jerry Coker. Um, anyway, so that was a great department for me. That's the one time I took drum lessons, right. really uh, legit drum set lessons. Uh, I got to mention this guy's name because he's another uh, music hero of mine, yeah. Keith Brown at University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Um, he's still there. He's uh, He's a major, major influence in my development and just my passion for, he's, he's an extremely dedicated jazz drummer. Yeah. He's a legit jazz drummer. And uh, he opened my vocabulary up as far as my independence and things. But therefore, I, I was there for um, two and a half years. Um, and so that was that was another kind of transition time for me and at that point, man, I was living with blinders on. I was just like, you know, music or die. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was a pretty fruitful time for me. I paid my way through school playing in top 40 bands. Oh, cool. So I'd play, you know, 8 o'clock till midnight or 1, playing whatever the top 40 music of the day was. Yeah. And then go to go to classes during the day and or not go to classes, whatever the case yeah. was. <laughs> but anyway, that, that's kind of my education. I'm, you know, it's, it's funny. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm part, I'm mostly self-taught. Yeah. But uh, I had the, that, that little window of actual physical drum lessons. Mostly what I took out of the schooling that I had was the stuff that's not, necessarily the physical part of drumming but theory and composition and those things about the composition of of songs and and chord structures and uh just an understanding more of of, of, uh you know the 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 other parts of music other than rhythm yeah (laughs) other than drumming and i feel like I learned a lot in that respect that I use every single day in the studio. Yeah. That helps me really communicate and learn a song quickly and really get to the heart of a song because I understand the form. I understand the arc of the chord structure and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, because those things least, you can't really teach yourself, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, you can you can kind of have a, a natural... Um, instinct for those things, which is necessary, I believe. Yeah. Um, but to really identify them and be able to, you know, anyway, yeah. both. Yeah. It, it, it all helped me. It's funny, man. You know, growing up back to Tullahoma, I was telling you, it was part, part country people and part, you know, scientist people. Yeah. That's really, you know, in large part, in, you know, kind of, 
uh, uh, kind of my musical personality. Um, I get stone country stuff. I get, I, I understand the language of, of, of country music just because I, I grew up, it was surrounding my ears, you know? Sure. Yeah. But I, I also understand, you know, the whole, you know, more sophisticated kinds of music, um, too. It's interesting that those, that Telahoma kind of had both of those to okay. offer me. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's kind of it. And from there, man, you know, I didn't graduate. From there, I just kind of jumped right into working. I got a gig. I was in Janie Fricky's band for two years. Oh, cool. And left. She was a country artist. Yeah. In the mid '80s, it was real big, and uh, I, I, I lived out. I still lived in East Tennessee while I did that. Her band all lived in East Tennessee, so I, I, when I was playing those top forty gigs, they would come in off the road and go to the clubs to go party. Yeah, and I would be in the band, so you know, musicians hang out, and yeah. So when that spot came open, I got the gig. I got to audition and got the gig and I ended up staying out there with them for a couple of years. And then that's when I moved to Nashville in 1988. I I, I let go of that gig and just said, I really wanted to go to LA. That was really my, my target, but I I just didn't feel like I was developed enough. Yeah. I was a little insecure and, and wasn't, didn't feel like I had it together enough. You know, and at that time, it was Vinny, John Robinson, Jeff Picaro, Carlos Vega, sure. you know, yeah. Jim Keltner. You know, it's just like the list goes on. It's like, yeah, what are you going <laughs> to do? You know? Yeah. And so I thought, you know, I know a, a couple people here that have gone through college or whatever, or landed in Nashville. And so I, I moved here basically, literally with one drum set, crack cymbals, and a a Ford Ranger pickup truck that, wow. and a twin bed. And, and I just started, I started t- playing everything I could, you know, uh, wedding receptions, all the club gigs, all the pickup, like, you know, just party bands, you know, corporate gigs, yeah. uh, you know, artist gigs at any one time I'd be playing in like eight different artist development bands that were yeah. doing showcases and gigs around the, and learning all this music and doing two rehearsals during the day and then a gig at night, you know, just that kind of life. I loved it, man. I mean, it's too much for me now. I'm too old to be able to keep up with it now. But back then, man, I just burned the candle candle at both ends and, and it it just organic. It was an organic uh, process for me of, of building relationships and just letting your work ethic and letting your, your work speak for itself. That's where I came from. And that's how I, um, that's how I kind of climbed the ranks. And I'm very fortunate in that it didn't really take me that much time to, to get into the studio scene. I think the town, I feel very lucky that it was just right place at the right time in a way. Sure. Uh, I definitely did my part. I think as far as trying to be prepared for opportunities when they came my way, but but I think it was just a, a time where, you know, Nashville was kind of opening its doors as far as stylistically. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
so it was just a great time for a player like me that really had a diverse kind of, you know, thing, palette, uh, to kind of step into the scene. And I just think the town was kind of ready for some drummers that, you know, had a, a, a wider palette. Uh, yeah. Bag. Yeah. Yeah. So I what, really, really lucky there. What was your first kind of in, in the studio, uh, world there? What were you? What were you doing? Was it kind of the first time I heard myself on the radio was on a Christian record by a group called First Call, Mm -hmm. and at the time it it was probably ninety, eighty nine or ninety, and I'd only been in town a couple of years, and the way I got that record date was I went and did an audition for a really big gig. Yeah, and I didn't get the gig, but the producer for the artist was one of the judges of the audition. Sure, he told the artist, "There's your guy." That the artist was like, "No, that's my guy." Yeah, and so I walked. You know, I was, I left the the audition and on in the hallway, I literally felt a tap on my back, and I turned around, and it was that producer and his name is Keith Thomas, mm-hmm. huge producer. Yeah. He did a lot of Amy Grant stuff, a lot of, uh, James Ingram and Vanessa Williams, a lot of R and B, a lot of Disney stuff, huge, you know, big name in Nashville. Yeah. Um, and he said, man, I love the way you played the hi-hat. I love your drumming. Will you come out this week and play in the studio with me? And I was like, gee, Mr. Thomas, I think I can work that into my schedule, <laughs> you know? And and it was like, I I, I really didn't have any kind of studio uh, scene going on yet. I was starting to get, you know, demo thing here and there, and, you know, just things trickling in, just, starting to just get into it so when people would ask me well what have you done well i worked for not much but i worked for keith thomas and it's just like keith thomas are you kidding you know so that was kind of like yeah i waved that flag for a while you know i saw how it affected people i was like yeah i worked with keith thomas you know um (laughs) so that was the really really man i say this humbly you know with humility like that was the first time I heard myself on the radio. That was a that was a pull off to the side of the road moment and yeah. just not I can't believe that just I was overwhelmed yeah. with gr- just and gratitude and just a an just awesome humble kind of you know what I mean. Yeah. Just that first time you you hear yourself on record or you hear, hear yourself on the radio. It's just, it was a moment. It was a real moment. That that was the first, that was the, that was the first real big, you know, and sure enough, man, you know, things started, started taking off. So who was, who was the artist that didn't take you? Uh, BB and CC Winans. Oh, cool. You know who they are? Oh yeah. 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 Well, I ended up playing on the record that Keith hired me for, (laughs) but I didn't get the gig. (laughs) Well, probably in hindsight, right? It was probably the best thing that happened. Yeah, it ended up being a good thing for me. um, Regardless, I'm a lucky guy, and you know, just uh, I my my aspirations were to be a studio player anyway. Yeah. 
And uh, back then, especially, it was kind of like, are you a studio guy? In Nashville, it was like this. It was like, are you a studio guy? Or are you a, a, a live guy? Yeah. I never saw it that way, but that was just kind of like the stigma that was in Nashville sure at was, the yeah. time. Yeah. And um, it's not that way anymore. It's really not that way anymore, uh, thankfully. Uh, but um, for whatever reason, those rules were in place when I got here. And I just always tried to, I turned down a couple of things that were, my friends were like, you stupid idiot. Yeah. What are you doing, man? Turning that gig down. I mean, a big gig. Um, and it was in around 91. Sure. Yeah. 91. It was a big tour. Yeah. And I could just feel things in the studio. It was about to like happen, you know? Yeah. And I, it, it was, you know, it's one of those things where you say no to make some yeses happen. Sure. It so, was hard because I turned down money, a prestigious gig. But because I did that, I feel like it, I, I allowed some things to come yeah. to me. Um, uh, so, so what was the first session that you had in Nashville that where you were the artist you were performing for kind of made you super nervous or, you know, it's like, oh, I'm playing for this person right um was there that first time where it was like oh my gosh well i was nervous as uh, you know i was at you know crap my pants level working with keith thomas you know on that thing because i mean he you know he was used to working with you know john robinson and i mean that was his level carlos vega yeah. he was working with those cats um so that was his level of you know this is the way it needs to be it needs to be up here yeah. and i was not there <laughs> in my eyes i wasn't um, but, um, and you know, I, I, I'll say I have a healthy, I, I have a healthy amount of, of, uh, of, of nervousness. Yeah. Um, you know, especially back then for pretty much everything, I have a real reverence for what we do in recording music. I have a real reverence for songs and for artistic value I'm not trying to sound holier than now or anything i just i have a real reverence for what it is i've you know put my life's work into you know and i respect guys that think like that yeah and so um there's been a lot you know uh you know some of the amy grant stuff or some of the the michael w smith stuff early on uh, I had, oh, I, I had done um, a session with uh, a Christian artist and, and, and Lee Sklar was on the oh, record. Cool. Yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> talk about, holy crap, man. <laughs> like, you're the soundtrack of my life. No kidding. You know, <laughs> you know remember, I'm a child of the 70s, right? Yeah. He was, he was on everything, you know. And, um so that was that was definitely a nerve wreck. I can remember one day of that record. It was uh, it was Robbie Buchanan, Michael mm -hmm. Omardian, Lee Sklar, Dan Huff, wow. Don Potter, and Jerry McPherson. Holy smokes! If you know those names, oh yeah, you'll know. And me, and I've been in town, you know, three years or whatever, and um, so. Um, no, that's good. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, 
that turned out good. And then another, so that was kind of a nerve wracking, nervous thing. But Lee, if you know anything about Lee, man, he just like put his arm around me and said, basically said, man, you're in the club. I mean, he made me feel like that. He yeah. didn't say that literally, but yeah. by his actions and by his, you know, invitation, he accepted me and was like, come on in, dude. You know, you're one of us. We're going to make music. That's still to this day. I think he's he's well known for having that kind of like attitude and work ethic. So he recommended me based on that and maybe a couple of other sessions. Yeah. He recommended me for one of my first big country records, which was John Michael Montgomery. Wow. Yeah. You remember John Michael Montgomery? Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, this was back in, you know, probably early mid nineties or something. And, uh, that was Sklar, Steve Nathan, John McPhee from the Doobie brothers. Yeah. And Brent, Brent Mason. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about nervous, you know, and John Michael Montgomery and, uh, you know, Chubba, what was his name? He produced it. I know who you mean. Um, God rest his soul. I think he passed away. Yeah. He was uh, an Australian guy that came over and he was an engineer and a producer. Yeah. Um, Anyway. And, uh, you know, again, it was a room full of what the hey am I doing here? You know, kind of like pinch your moment. Yeah. Um, that was a, that was a, a time where I was really nervous. Um, you know, any of those big marquee artists, you know, I, like I said, I, I have a healthy dose of reverential anxiety. <laughs> I think you could call it, you know, Jewel, um, Faith Hill stuff, Seeger. Oh, yeah. You know, wow. I uh, played on about half of a Bob Seger record here in Nashville about 10 years ago. Um, and that was like, I mean, I grew up with that in my headphones, you know, driving around doing what we did in the 70s, exactly. you know, listening to Bob Seger, you know. Yeah. And um, so I've been so fortunate to have lots of those occasions worth being nervous about sure i think i think there's a healthy version of nervous and there's a there's a not healthy version so yeah, yeah those are yeah. some of those, those those are some of those times so it's been a lot more <laughs> yeah what was it like then when it was like the heyday when you were just pounding out session after session what was that life like um i loved it yeah i loved it i would and, and during that time, it was during the day of before any kind of house kits. Yeah. So I had two complete session rigs, right? And <clears throat> they just seesaw me. Oh, yeah. And on some days, I'd be in three different rooms in one day. Wow. So I'd be here in the morning, walk in, that kit's there. While I'm there, they're setting up for the 2 o'clock. Then they take this drum set that I started with. And that moves over to another studio for the six o'clock. Yeah. Basically, we run on three hour long blocks here in Nashville. Yeah. 10 to one, two to five, six to nine. Yeah. And, and, you know, so there was that kind of just running five days a week, just doing that six days a week. And then the other, you know, that was mostly 
that was one way that sessions worked. But back back then in the heyday, too, they would just like literally just block book you for five days. Oh yeah. And then you could they'd loosen the reins on ten to one, two to five, six to nine. They just you basically there all day. Yeah. Um, whatever their day. You know, sometimes the definition of a day could be walking out at three in the morning. Sure. Yeah. That that became a problem when kids came along in my life, you know. Yeah. Um, but not too big of a problem. We always worked that out and it was much, you know, it was it was you know, obviously, you know, it was, it was great opportunity as far as career wise, musically, not being gone for two weeks at a time, being uh, a, a relatively normal uh, family man. Yeah. You know, I've got two sons. They're grown now, but back then, you know, I could still <clears throat> make baseball games and things like that. So, um, it was busy, man. I mean, it was really busy for a lot of us, uh, there was a lot more music being made. Sure. There were a lot more artists on the record company rosters and there were a lot more record companies. Yeah. There was tons of money. And they were spending it. I mean, I played on, I played on records, some country records, where everybody on the floor would be making double scale. Work, work for three days, cut a record in three days, uh, like a freshman artist, and the record never comes out. Yeah, gets shelved. But everybody gets paid, you know. Yeah. And, you know, they they'd have, you know, people bringing you food in and catering food and yeah. all the cartridge bills and the high, it's just, it's just, it was a busy time in, in this town, in the music business in general. And I, I, I feel very lucky to have, you know, been a part of that. Um, and, and hitting the town at the time where there was a musical transition that happened I kind of just like got swept up in the wave, man, and just enjoyed the ride. Yeah. So, but it was extremely busy. You know, there were, you know, and you just, we don't grow up saying no as musicians, do we? No. It's never. hard to say no. So there were a lot of situations where they'd want a particular band for the record. So they, they were like, we need two days. And the only two days that it can be is Saturday and Sunday. Sure. So you'd end up working on the weekends too. Yeah. Um, at times, not all the time, but you know, a lot. Uh, so it was, it was beautifully busy. Um, to be honest, I would not want that schedule now. I yeah. wouldn't as a 58 year old man now, you know, I was, I was 26 when I moved here. By the time I was 30, I was in that schedule. Yeah. And, um, so I, I I lived inside that schedule, you know, for maybe close to twenty years. Wow. You know, yeah, maybe between fifteen and twenty years, and it started to lighten up. Because man, there's some really, really, there's some really, really great musicians, young lions now, yeah, great drummers that I just highly respect, and it's their turn, man. They're killer, and you know, they have their finger on the pulse of 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 the the here and now yeah and it's their turn you know i had my i had my turn where people you, you know wouldn't cut without me yeah um and 
I feel I feel really lucky now to be where I'm at age wise and still be doing what I'm doing um, and still be maintaining a, a healthy enough workflow to where I can still, you know, I'm still doing it. Well, that that's an awesome way to look at it, right? It's because that younger group of guys, because you were that young group of guys at one point and you know what that's like yeah. and how important it is to get in there at some point. Um, mm-hmm. And at some point, that transition happens and, and always does. Um, but to be healthy about it and, and thinking about it as being a good thing uh, is really yeah. important. Yeah, please, you know, let me also say this. So I'm, I'm, I'm you know, completely transparent. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, right? No. Because, because, you know, as musicians, you know, we're, we're attached to what we do. Sure. This is, this is not something that, you know, this is something I've invested a lot of my time of my life into. Yeah. You as well, all of us that are career lifers at this. We're, it's part of our soul, man. Yeah. So it's not easy to go, oh, they're done with me. You know, and I don't, that's kind of paint, painting a dark picture of it, but it's hard to not you have to really be proactive about not letting yourself go there. Yeah. Um, because it, then it can affect your life. Sure. It can affect your, your musicality. Yeah. Then it, it, it just, yeah, it's definitely a negative thing. So it's a choice, you know, to, to look at the reality of, I've had a longer run than I ever thought I would. And I'm still doing it. Yeah. Your run's not over. <laughs> yeah. So, Especially because of this world here, yeah. that, that kind of keeps keeps a lot going for me. I think sometimes guys don't know how old I am. They just go by, oh, you played on that? I want that guy, you know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're like a 25, 30-year-old artist, and they, they get me to play on it, and they never see me. I'm like, they don't know how old I am. Yeah. <laughs> and I try to... <laughs> You know, I'm 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 really diligent about trying to be relevant musically. Yeah. Uh, just trying to play the right vocabulary. I think there's an inherent dialect to current drumming versus you know just things change, yeah. music sounds and just approaches change. Um, I think it's really important to stay musically in tune with with the current. Uh, you know, yeah, thing. for sure. Uh, and that I've seen that help me um, over and over again. What's it like? like yeah. What's it yeah. like now um, walking into the studio doing a session compared to when it was the, the heyday in the 90s? Is there is there a difference? I mean, obviously, it's still recording, still, mm-hmm. you know, getting behind. Well, I think the there's a different value system. Like what was really valuable, I think it's all the same elements, like um, good time, good tones, musicality, creativity, you know, those, those, there's a certain list of, it's a skill set, you know? Yeah. Um, back then, one of the, I would say in the 90s, a really valuable skill set that was high up on the list was creativity. Yeah. And that happens to be like one of my 
That's that's my wheelhouse. Yeah. Ask me to make something up, and I love it. I'm just like, and give me time to do it. Yeah. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. That's where I, that's where I, I I feel like that's where I show my musical muscle. Yeah. Um. Um. And we had time again. We had time to do it. Um, now there's you there's that creativity is not valued is 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 highly it's still on the list right but it's just kind of like taking a back seat to just like like how are you at playing on the grid yeah can you make it feel like it's supposed to on the grid and can you do it very very quickly and can you can you play like a lot of the modern thinking not all and this is not a negative thing it's just my observation sure and i think it's you know pretty well known yeah there's different compartments it's like the verse compartment yeah so you could go oh that's my verse part just put it in second verse yeah i didn't grow up like that my second verse in the 90s was going to be different than my first verse yeah because you know what we're in the second verse now we're we start the song here and we end the song here and that second verse is right in here. It's at a different part in the arc of the song is that verse. Yeah. That's the way I grew up, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. So now now it's not so, you know, there's certain types of music where that just doesn't matter. It just they want that compartment. They want the part. And I know some of the guys, some of the acoustic players that are ex- unbelievable acoustic players that are they're the guys you hear on the records now. Yeah. They're saying these producers are asking me to literally, they want me to sound more like the sample oh, yeah. of the guitar. Yeah. That that was on the demo. Yeah. I need you to sound like that. Yes. And I need to feel like that. I need to sound like that. You know, so that's the, kind of the mentality. So there's here's the deal. Don't let that be negative. Think yeah. of that. That's that's a skill set. Yeah. It's just like developing this. This whole world right here, to learn how to run Pro Tools. I had to learn how to engineer drums. Yeah. I had to, this is a skill set that I acquired because I could either do it and make a living and and do what I love doing, or I could just say, I ain't going to do that. And half of my opportunity would be flushed down the toilet. Yeah. So you see what I'm saying? I'm yeah. not, I try to not think of those things as negative, but there's, there's just different things. That's one of the main differences, uh, say, from the 90s to now, is yeah. that you know, it's just, can you plug? We kind of know what the part is. Everybody does. We just need you to do it and do it fast and make it like where we could just like go, choo, choo, yeah, choo, choo, here. yeah, or whatever. Make yeah. it editable. Or whatever, or make it sound like it's been edited and it's not edited, yeah. which is see, there's an art form right there in, uh, unto itself. Um, yeah. So, do you yeah. get albums that, at all? That- yeah, that that answer. Do you get albums at all that you've you've you hear your drum part back and you hear the kit and it's like, what did they do to my kit? Or well, yeah, yeah, yeah. with all the sound replacing. Um, these days, it, it you know, I just get to the point where it's like, I kind of, you know, I don't really have any, it just depends on the music to me. 
right? Yeah. Is it is it musically doing the right thing? Are those sounds doing the right thing? Yeah. Um, or are they there just because you want it? You need it to sound like that because you think that's going to uh, please yeah. the record people or something. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, it, I just try to always, I don't know. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I, 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 yes and no to that. It just, the context is everything to me yeah. uh, on sound replacing and editing. Uh, you know, the best players, some of the best drummers in the world are here and they get, their parts are just edited to death on a lot of records yeah. just because it's kind of almost like auto tune, right? Yeah. We on a vocal now. You see, it's just like you you can't put up with a vocal being out of tune now. In the go back and listen to the '70s, man. The, the inflection and those pitches would oh, move yeah. around, yeah. and we never thought anything was wrong with it. No, you still don't. Verses, verses would mm-hmm. slow down. Yeah. Those choruses would pick up a couple of beats. Yeah. We never thought that was a bad thing. Now that's considered a bad thing. Yeah. We almost use tempo at times as a dynamic. Sure, yeah. Because that chorus got up on it, it made it, it, it was a dynamic. It felt like the song got louder and, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I try not to get too um, set in my old ways about all that stuff, if yep. that makes sense. Um, try to keep an open mind. But, but yeah, uh, the whole editing and sound replacing and whatever. I personally, here in my studio, I don't do any sound replacing. I mean, I do some, I'll, I'll program stuff. Sure. You know, sure. I have programming capabilities or I'll trigger stuff. I've got, I don't know if you can see, I've got a, a pad up there and yep. I've got a tri- bass drum trigger pad. Sometimes like a verse, if it's like a pop thing, you don't want the, acoustic kick drum to be in until the chorus yeah so i've got a thing where i'll i'll play samples for the verse and use a side snare or a sample here and be and then switch to the kit for the choruses yeah things like that i'm way into doing that yeah i love your side snare stuff it's great yeah something tuned down or something yeah yeah friend is awesome Yeah. yeah So I, so I do all that kind of stuff and loop programming or overdubbing yeah. real weird sounds or whatever. But when I hand stuff to people, I'm I'm just not into handing them all these sound replaced sounds. Yeah. Um, they can do that if they want to. Sure. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, I, at least so far I haven't gotten into that. Um, who knows though? Yeah. I might, I might change my mind at some point. So here's a couple quick questions to wrap up on. Uh, I know you've got a lot of drums behind you there and I know, you, you know, here's a hypothetical thing. So say uh, you're in an emergency and you had to run and grab one snare and that would be the snare that you had to grab out of the pile. Which, which one would you take? Oh man, that's, that's not a fair question. Dude. <laughs> that is not a fair question. It's gotta be one. In a hurry, you got ten seconds to grab something. Oh, <laughs> um, okay. So I don't know, man. Maybe you know. 
maybe the maybe the six and a half black beauty thing yeah. you know just because the ludwig black beauty makers it'll go up down it can be ringy i can make it gushy and dead i can make it i can crank it up it's gonna have it can it's it's really a it has, it's a multiple personality instrument yeah um now i'm not saying that's the best snare drum in the world yeah. but i'd say if i had one snare drum maybe make it, that yeah, work yeah because yeah. I, I i would see i'm coming from the point of view is i need that snare drum to sound a lot of different ways yeah i'm not coming from the snare the point of view of that's when i get that snare drum to sound perfect then that's my favorite snare drum yeah i want it to be i need it to be like 10 different guys yeah in, in my world you know so that's why i answer the way i do is there anything uh, in drum world now that you're excited about as far as new companies or new drums or um, I know you, you like you said you've had you have a lot your old kits there and you've had something for a long time but is there anything else that you've seen that's you think's new and innovative that you anxious to try? There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of really great boutique uh, yeah. drum companies. Um, I just haven't gotten around to jumping on all of them or any of them really uh my sticks are innovative percussion which <clears throat> highly recommend checking that out if you're a drummer uh they're just quality standard incredible um incredible drumsticks they're made here in nashville um, and the guy uh the owner of the company basically got his start first in marching band world, like drum corps world yeah. and symphonic world or orchestral world. And he became a big name in those two camps. And then he, he made a move into drum set uh, kind of stuff. And he's, he's got a pretty long, pretty large roster of, of drum set artists now, but man, I mean, the best sticks I've ever used, most consistent. And they have this computerized, uh, like factory line, man, where they, they get every stick to the, you know, yeah. ounce, 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 tenth of an ounce, hundredth of an ounce. Um, so anyway, that's a really good company, Innovative Percussion. But there's, there's a lot of stuff that I haven't tried um, that I might, if I was 30, 35 i'd probably be yeah jumping into i use peisty symbols i'm a i'm a career peisty guy i've been with them since the late 80s and uh i just that's the most that's just the most musical symbol to me and they have enough diversity uh to to work for me as far as their different palettes of sounds yeah and I've got, you know, I love Craviato drums. I've got a Brady. Uh, the Ludwigs are great. I've got a Joyful Noise, Joyful Noise snare drum. Yeah. Incredible drum. Um, so, yeah, I guess, yeah, I don't know. I, I just try to, I try, try to stay in shape and try to play good drums. That's really my goal <laughs> these days. <laughs> so, Let's wrap up on one more question and uh, appreciate this time. It's been an awesome, awesome podcast. I've enjoyed 
I, I feel like I don't even have to ask anything. I'm just sitting here listening to you talk. It's been great. Well, I hope I'm not talking too much, man. Oh, no. Thank it's, you. It's perfect. Thank you. It's, it's, I'm, I'm humbled to, to, to be able to share whatever I've shared. And hopefully it is productive and says something to somebody that helps them. You bet. So let's end up with this question. Um, is there an artist... Uh, someone out there that you've always wanted to play on their album or perform with that you never had a chance. It's that one person where you say, I wish I had a chance to play with this one. Another, another snare <laughs> running out of the house snare question. Can I name more than one? Yeah. Yeah. And by saying this, I'm not saying that I think I'm good enough to play on it. <laughs> I'm just saying that I would, I would love Joni Mitchell. Oh, oh. yeah. Love Joni Mitchell. Yeah. Gino. I mean, I, I, but I don't think I don't have the chops to play with Gino, but I oh. get the music sting. I love sting. Yeah. You know? Um, and then a lot of the newer, like, I don't know. I like, um, you know who Ray LaMontagne is? Mm -hmm. Um, I love, Jay Belarus, the drummer Jay Belarus, mm -hmm. like everything yeah. he plays on, I want to play on it. <laughs> I couldn't do it as good as him, but that whole kind of broken down, soft playing, vibey sounds, and real organic singer songwriter stuff, anything like that, I really love. Um, Tasteful stuff. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Have you met Gad before? No. No. I've seen Steve uh, play, um, and it, it was mind-boggling uh, how, how little he played <laughs> and how great it was. Um, was he playing with JT, or what, yes. who was he playing? Yeah. Yeah. And they... They, you know, it's it's a pretty laid back. I mean, there's not a lot of heavy playing, but they played Steamroller, um, and oh. and all of a sudden the band. It was like their one song. They get to lay in and let it rip, and it was literally um, was in the amphitheater. And I'm outside, and they let it rip for that song, and it was. I was shocked how the. I mean, the band was so good, but then it just went to another level altogether. Wow. And then they finished, and I was just like sweating because I was enjoying it so much. And then, so was it Jimmy Johnson and Landau yeah, and yeah. Gad, that band? Okay, yeah. Um, and then back to your typical James Taylor tune, and it was just whoosh, right back to you know, and it's so controlled, and it was just you know, here's that song, they let it rip, and it's right back to you know, yeah. keeping it locked in, and it was well, you know, you and I, <clears throat> yeah people that are our age, you know, you really realize um, when you see that there's a lot behind that simplicity. Yeah. There's, there's as much depth behind that groove, that simple groove as, you know, playing with Chick Corea, uh, you know, uh, um, on, on, on a certain level. Yeah. Um, uh, to be able to make that music feel like Gad makes it feel, I mean, that takes, it's masterful what he can do uh, on that JT stuff or anything. Yeah. Um, I just, uh, there's this, there's this uh, on Spotify, 
love it or hate it. I use it as an educational tool. Yeah. Spotify, there's this guy who does this, these playlists. It's called the Groove Index. Oh, cool. And he takes, you know, all these famous drummers, Jim Keltner, Steve Gadd, whoever, you know. Yeah. Um, and he'll basically, Steve Jordan, and he'll, he'll just go, it's like six and a half or seven hour long playlists. It's basically like their whole life. And um, you really, and Gad's got one. And I, I went through the Gad thing. It's like stuff I didn't know he played on that I listened to when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, or, or and you know, you see the, 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 the thing, him going from, you know, fusion God to, you know, uh, the simplest of simple brushing a kick drum on whatever. And there's a certain amount of same standard uh, awesomeness, yeah. even on the simplest, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, he just makes it, he makes it art. He's, he's, he's one of the best of our time, best ever. I mean, period. Come on, man. I mean, I, he changed the way that we look at the drum set. Yeah. Single-handedly. So, yeah, musical hero for sure. Boom. Awesome. Well, it's been a, an absolute pleasure uh, chatting with you. And uh, I hope uh, once COVID hit, or finishes and I have a chance to get down in Nashville, we could grab a cup of coffee or something. I'd love to do that and, and, and hang out. I would, uh, or I'd love to send you some files and have you play on something. That would be. Anytime, man. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm here ready for that and especially ready to uh, have that cup of coffee and hang out. And Darren, listen, man, thank you. I'm humbled. Thank you Gen genuinely that, that you would have me uh, on your podcast. And thank you for doing this podcast because, you know, you're, you're educating people on, you know, multiple levels. I know you don't just do session players or whatever. It's just a wide range uh, of things that you do, but uh, you're keeping this, you're, you're educating people to keep the standard of, 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 of excellence up yeah. in what we do. And, you know, we're living in a world where it's really easy to let mediocre be good. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. You know, yeah. we get, we get caught in, in, in a sea of mediocrity really easily. And, um, I think the people that you, you know, that you're interviewing and, and your pursuit is, is like keeping like that level keep pushing that level, that standard of excellence in whatever field you're in uh, production or TV or film or music or whatever. So thank you for, for doing that, man. Well, that's really, really nice. I re it makes me want to do it more. And, and, uh, um, and I get something from every conversation. I feel like it's like a little master class every time I get a chance to talk to. Yeah, you got like the you. best seat in the house, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's been yeah. amazing. So it's thanks cool. again. Uh, let's stay in touch and I'll let you know when this is all happening. But yeah, stay on for a minute and I'll, we'll just wrap this up. And uh, it's once again been a huge pleasure and uh, I look forward to uh, to hearing more drumming. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.